the question I want us to consider as we start here is, are the Ten Commandments still relevant today? Uh, we might have talked about this a little bit uh, in January, but again, the question is, are they still relevant today, or is it just a bunch of rules that some funny dicey you know, group of people who are like, man, our kids are going crazy, our, our society's going crazy, you know, thousands of years ago, people sitting around like, we got to do something, right? We just got to make up a bunch of rules and say, you guys can't do these things, and then our kids will get in order, our society will get in order, and everything will be great, right? Well, obviously, that is, you know, that doesn't work, right? Just from like a really human sociological uh, perspective. And that's not uh, why the protecting families were given. So let's look at the significance of the starting off with, of this first commandment. So obviously they weren't just you know, given by a bunch of angry old people who wanted younger people to get their acts together. They were given by God, right? They were given by God to direct our lives. And what is the significance then of starting off here with this first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. The question is, what does God mean by this? I think John Frame in his Doctrine of the Christian Life, uh, massive volume that I shared with you guys last month, um, almost 500 pages dedicated to the Ten Commandments. He argues in there that what God demands in his first commandment is exclusive covenant loyalty. Exclusive covenant loyalty. And scripture is full of language of God calling us to be his people and he are God. We saw that this morning in Hebrews chapter 8, where we quoted from Jeremiah 31, and then we read from Ezekiel chapter 37. So this language about God being our God and we being his people, this is this uh, language of covenant. And while it may be fashionable in our day to claim that exclusive relationships are just some man-made idea, as Christians, we must push back against that notion and not buy into the argument that it is the right, just the right thing to do in order to have an ordered society, right? We need to have these like exclusive relationships. Obviously, talking about talking about marriage here, um, we, we can't just say like, oh yeah, it's just something again, something that people made up to like make us have a better society. From Genesis to Revelation, we see a lot of language and imagery about marriage and weddings concerning God and his people, the relationship that God has with his people. So when you even think about marriage vows concerning faithfulness to the spouse, those vows are to be a reflection of the right relationship with God. Again, all of this, all of this starts with God, right? The reason we have the law, the reason we have the Ten Commandments is all to be a reflection of our relationship with God. So the way that things are ordered in our society are to be a reflection of how we are to relate to God. We start with, like, we, need, we have these needs in our society and we try to impose them on this idea that we have of who God is. So again, this idea of exclusive covenant loyalty, this comes directly from God and his relationship with his people. So this must define our relationships with God, both on an individual level, right? We need Exclusive covenant loyalty in our individual relationship with God, and we do that in our corporate relationship with God as His people. So let's look to the scriptures for an example for that. 
Uh, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to be reading from Hosea chapter 2. Uh, Hosea probably has some of the most striking language and imagery in the whole Bible. You probably know the story God told his prophet Hosea to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. And this is to be a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, this marriage of God's set-apart, holy minister, right? Being married to this unclean woman. And after the promise of judgment that comes early in chapter 2, there is this promise that God will have mercy on his people, that he will bring restoration. But listen to this language from Hosea 2 as it relates to this exclusive relationship that God demands from his bride, particularly as this relates to the first commandment, where we see you shall have no other gods before me. This is what God says. In that day, declares the Lord, speaking to the people of Israel, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. Again, there's this picture of faithfulness to God, right, versus this running after idolatry, running after Baal. God says, I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. Listen to this language here. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And you read through the Psalms, read through the Old Testament, this language. Righteousness, justice, steadfast love, and mercy. This is how God declares himself, who he declares himself to be, right? Who he is to his people. He says he will betroth himself to his people in these things. And then it says, I will betroth you to be in faithfulness. Another thing that's constantly we're reminded of. And then he says, and you shall know the Lord. Okay, so there's this picture of, of restoration, of intimacy with God's people, of God making this covenant of taking them from worshiping idols and, and running away from him and being reunited to him and knowing him. And I think that's a helpful way to think specifically about the first commandment. This is a great picture here of exclusive covenant loyalty, what God demands of his people. And so when we see this being taken from this like, far away, like unclean position, being brought back to the way it was intended to be, that's really what this first commandment is talking about, having no other gods before them. So last month, we introduced the Ten Commandments and some categories that we'll be using again as we teach through that. I'm just going to mention two of them that we talked about. The first was uh, the positive and negative applications. So we see this in Westminster Larger Catechism 104 and 105. Uh, you can turn there, I'm not going to read them quite yet, but it's on page three. Do you see there, question 104, what are the duties required? So that's the positive element, right? What do we need to do? And then what are 105, what are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? So that's the negative element. So as we go through all ten commandments, that's, that's the two categories that we're going to see in the larger catechism question. What's required positively, what's forbidden negatively? The second set of categories is narrow and broad application. So the narrow application is, what does the commandment specifically 
forbid or command, right? What's, what is it exactly telling us to do or not to do? And then broadly, what other circumstances does the commandment also apply to? All right? Honor your father and mother, this last time. Clearly, the narrow, the narrow command is to honor your father and mother. But what are some broader things that we can take from that? Well, obviously, probably ideas about respecting all authority, right? And, um, and, you know, we could say, well, it's not just get into, like, what does that look like? Um, and the rest of the family, how was family dynamics going to play out? It's all kinds of things that we talk about that flow from that. So, getting at the first commandment here, let's start with the positive application of the first commandment. So, let's look at Westminster Larger Catechism 104. What are the duties required in the first commandment? Answer The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, hiding esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of Him, believing in Him. Trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks, and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful when in anything he is offended, and walking humbly with him. The utter comprehensiveness of this list is astounding. Uh, John Frame has kind of funny things in, in his book where he's like, yeah, I can just picture like this group of guys sitting around when they first put this together, and like, you know, one guy raises his hand, like, like, you can't forget this thing, and you can't forget this thing, and this list just continues to grow. But then he points out actually how, how beautiful this huge list really is. And unfortunately, you don't see it in, in this version that we printed for you. If you Go online and find it. If you go and find the footnoted version that has all the scripture references, there are actually 23 different footnotes just in this commandment. Okay, there are 23, you know, there are eight, eight, whatever, whatever letter, 20 letter. Um, and the list, at least one scripture passage under each letter, okay, which corresponds to, to sometimes just like even, you know, Highly esteemed, honored, and adored. All of those each have their own footnote, and then there's a bunch of scriptures. So, 23 footnotes just in this section, 31 verses, mostly from the Psalms and Prophets, talking about all of these ways that we are required to, to honor God, right? To, to live with Him. So, um, you could spend hours just, just going over those verses, reading those verses, looking at the context of each of those verses. There's so much here. I mean, this could be like an entire sermon series in and of itself. We don't have time to look at each one of these individual things. But based on this list, based on all the scriptures that are recorded, we know that God has told us very clearly in his word how we are to positively honor him by obeying the first commandment. One way that's kind of helpful to, to think through these things, and Frank does a good job of categorizing this, he has three categories uh, that kind of cover this list here in 104. And he says that these categories are love, worship, and consecration. So love, worship, and consecration. We're going to look at all of them. I just want to look at one of those categories. 
and we're going to look at worship. So if you look at the end of the second line, where it starts with the words and to, and then we read uh, the next two lines, it says, and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him. Okay? There's a lot there in those words in that list. And again, if we go back to our imagery of marriage and wedding vows, these are the things that we are committed to actively doing in order to make the relationship work, right? So when we think about worshiping God, we think about this positive element, what does it look like to walk with God, to have no other gods before him? These are things that we are required to do, right? So even in this list about worship here, thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteem, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing. That's a very comprehensive list. That's a lot there, right? And, and we think that, you know, when we think about that list, it can feel a little overwhelming, but those are all part of our worship of God. So those are things that we should be actively seeking to grow and actively seeking to, uh, to have our relationship with God strengthened in those areas. <clears throat> okay, so that's kind of just a, a quick snapshot of that first one of, of what is required. Now let's look at the negative application of the first commandment in 105. So what are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? Answer, the sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism, in denying or not having a God, idolatry, in having or worshiping more gods than one, or any with or instead of the true God, the not having and avouching him for God and our God, the omission or neglect of anything due to him required in this commandment, ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching into his secrets, all profaneness, profaneness, hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, and all other inordinate, inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affections upon other things, and taking them off from the whole world. Vain, humility, unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, disrepair, incorrigibleness, and insensibleness under judgments, hardness of heart, pride, presumption, harmless security, tempting of God, using unlawful means and trusting in lawful means, carnal delights and joys, corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal, lukewarmness and deadness in the things of God, estranging ourselves and apostatizing from God, praying or giving any religious worship to saints, angels, or any other creatures, all compacts and consulting with the devil, and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience, slighting and despising God and his commands, resisting and grieving of the spirit, discontent and impatience at his dispensations, charging him foolishly for the evils he inflicts on us, and ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. Again, this list is insanely comprehensive, right? In 
again, in the footnoted version, there are 46 footnotes in this one, double the amount that are in the previous question. And there are 70 verses referenced. So there's a lot there. Uh, if you are feeling up to it and you want to go in, and that, they're actually all listed in the bigger version, all listed there, so you don't actually like, flip to each passage in, in scripture and look at them. So it wouldn't really take you that long uh, to read it, but it could be a, a good exercise uh, to do that. <clears throat> but as you think about this negative application, a frame is helpful again as his category for these prohibitions. Um, remember that this category for the, the possible ones for love, worship, and consecration. This category for the negative, um, this, this negative, this negative aspect is separation. And here's what he says though. He says, the very notion of exclusive covenant loyalty requires us to refuse rival loyalties. And there are rivals. Others who tempt us to abandon our covenant with God. God has made a covenant with us in a fallen world. So the negative focus reflects the reality of sin and temptation. Obedience to God in a fallen world always involves saying no to Satan, the world, and our own lusts. And it requires us to take up arms against wickedness. So the ethical life is a conflict, a battle. Scripture calls us to repentance, turning away from a sinful course, self-denial, taking up our cross to follow Christ, and separation, breaking away from associations that compromise our loyalty to God. So when we consider this issue of separation, we can think about narrow and broad applications. A narrow application of the first commandment of having no other gods before him would be just that, not having false gods. Look at uh, the beginning of Larger Catechism 105, the first two and a half lines here, for this narrow application. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism in denying or not having a god, idolatry in having or worshiping more gods than one, or any with or instead of the true God. So that is the narrow application, right? That's like exactly what the commandment signs to not do these things. And then a broad application of non panic would be not having any substitutes for God. Look at uh, the return to page four. Look at the last, kind of right in the middle of that section where uh, the, that line begins in apostatizing from God. Start with the, where it says pray in there. So here's, here's kind of a broad application of having other gods, uh, having other substitutes for God. Praying or giving any religious worship to saints, angels, or any other creatures, kind of what Hebrews chapter 1 is talking about, right? All compacts and consulting with the devil and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience, slighting and despising God and his commands, resisting the creating of the Holy Spirit, discontent and impatience at his dispensations, charging him foolishly for the evils he inflicts on us. And I think this last line is especially helpful as we think about the ways that we can have that we make substitutes of God. And ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. Right? That's giving 
the glory that God alone deserves to something else, whether it's ourselves or whether it's, oh, yeah, I just got lucky, right? Um, or something, you know, somebody else did this. Uh, and obviously, like, it's easy to talk in this way, right? And not to say, like, you can't ever, like, jest or whatever about, you know, good fortune or these different things. But we have to be very careful that we're not actually ascribing things to God that God alone gives us to, like, chance to any other thing. Those, those would be examples of, of being, making substitutes uh, for God. And then when we think about false worship, when we think about idolatry, we often think about outward things, right? We, we think about what we're told not to do in the second commandment, which we're looking at next month, when, we, when it talks about making and bowing down to our enemies. A lot of times when we read the words, have no other gods before me, we immediately jump to that. But then as we see, as we look at uh, larger facts in 104 and 105 and the scriptures that correspond to that, right? The problem is, is here, right? The problem starts in the heart. The problem doesn't start with, oh, I, I had some carved image and then my heart went astray, right? Well, whatever outward thing is, whatever outward distraction there is from the Lord, it's because first the problem was in the heart. So this is, I think, a great place to start for us as we take stock of our relationship with God. As we consider how we are to positively love and worship and consecrate ourselves to Him, and then how we are to negatively separate ourselves from the things that would seek to draw us away from Him. I want to reread that end of that one quote from John Frame as I bring us to a close here. Think about how we can, in this negative focus, how we can not have other gods, right? It says, obedience to God in the fallen world always involves saying no to saving the world and our own lusts. And it requires us to take up arms against wickedness. So the ethical life is a conflict, a battle. Scripture calls us to repentance. Turning away from a sinful course, self-denial, taking up our cross to follow Christ, and separation, breaking away from associations that compromise our loyalty to God. So by God's grace, may we trust our Father's goodwill, follow the Son by denying ourselves and taking up our crosses as we follow Him, and be filled with the Holy Spirit as we seek to bear fruit and to make God known. Let's, let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the Ten Commandments, this reminder of who you are and what you call us to, to do as your people, how you call us to live. And God, as we even take stock of our own hearts this evening and this challenge that we are to have no other gods before you, God, we see and negatively what we are called to reject and separate ourselves from and may we be honest with ourselves that um, this is more than just having some some false image uh, in our house it's more than um, saying that we believe in some other belief system these are these are all the many ways god that we, we try to substitute you with other things we try to steal your glory or we're okay with others stealing your glory. God, may we be a people 
who are jealous for your glory. God, may we be a people who seek to live for you alone as our only God and seek to make you known in the world around us that is, is so confused, God, that is so disoriented, that is so far from your truth. God, may we be a people who are steadfast and always abounding in the word of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. God, would you give us the strength to do that for your name and for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.